following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Ming's not unbeatable. With all his men, he couldn't even kill Flash. Gordon's alive! Welcome to Flash Gordon Minute, presenting your hosts... From Minute of Darkness and the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast, Brad. And introducing your intrepid explorer of Planet Mongo, Eric. We are at Minute 70 of Flash Gordon. Eric, how are you this fine evening? Brad, why have you woken me? Wake me again when the end of the episode is in sight. Oh, there's no way I'm doing this without you. Wake up. And also awake, and joining us for this minute, who, who, Eric, who is our guest again? We welcome back to the Flash Gordon Minute Studios, Tim Blevins. Thank you. Thank you again for, uh, for, it'd be weird if I was just standing, I guess, outside this studio that you're mentioning. So thank you for having me inside, is the <laughs> joke that I just blew. But yeah, thank you. Thank you, guys. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. Really happy to have you with us. Uh, it's been, uh, yesterday was a ton of fun, and uh, some more fun. And we get, and which is very exciting for Eric, we get more colitis. Yes, but we have, we have to get through some stuff before we get to colitis, though. Yeah, a little bit of business to take care of. A little bit of, of business. Uh, uh, Baron has come in and seemingly has saved Flash from the plant monster. And Flash is covered in gray slime. To add to that body horror aspect of it you mentioned yesterday, Tim. And also to that Nickelodeon angle that I kept meaning. Oh, with. yes. Yes. That's right. Yes. Like he probably didn't know. <laughs> oh god nice nice reach back to you yeah. can't do that on television uh, the show i was all, embarrassed to watch i was if someone came in i would change the channel immediately because i had the feeling of these poor kids whenever i watched it i was embarrassed by that show but this i'm not embarrassed by this for some reason and very happy to have uh, uh james bond up there are you a big James Bond fan? I am not, but I, I had a brain fart and couldn't think of his character name. So <laughs> um, this is the James Bond that I grew up with, I guess. I didn't okay. see the movies, but I remember the commercials for, for, for these films. Um, I love him in, in this. I love him in The Rocketeer. I love him in uh, Hot Fuzz. I love him in pretty much everything I see him in. Um, he's just there, and we were talking about it yesterday too. That his, his character is just—he would be a good—he is a good swashbuckling character, and that's what this character, who is from the comic strips, correct? His yes, character is, yes, yeah, and, and flat out based on Robin Hood. Oh yeah, okay, that makes total sense. And you've probably talked about that in previous minutes, but that—I love that he's here. And again, I love, I love his little Chewbacca bowcaster. Yeah, he's great. Right? I'm very happy that James Bond is here again, not licensed as such. Timothy Dalton does a. Does a great job in this. Really interesting career he has had. He turns out he's, I think, a little more effective as a bad guy as he was in Rocketeer. He was a fantastic bad guy in Rocketeer. Very underrated too. I don't hear that movie talked out about a lot. If you want to talk about a comic book adaption, not that I know the comic, but the look of a comic, like that's a great movie. And he is phenomenal in that. And at the time, coming off of James Bond, which is what I knew him from the trailers, I thought, this serious guy, this whatever, whatever. He's hilarious. And again, much like this movie, he my eyes go to him whenever he's on the screen. He steals every moment that he's on the camera. Yeah, I, I always liked that. I always liked Rocketeer. A little call out to uh, one of our brother Minute by Minute podcasts. There is a Rocketeer Minute. Is there really? 
So people are still watching it. People, it's a movie that's still in the the conversation a bit. It's one that people uh, wasn't successful when it came out, but uh, I think it's had a lot of love in the years since. My favorite part about that is, uh, as all minute by minute shows do, they're always trying to get viewers, people listening, and they uh, most minute by minutes have a uh, Twitter page, and they copy the star of the Rocketeer, Bill Campbell, uh, and copied him on a tweet. He ended up listening to the show from the jumps from Jump Street, tweeted about how much he loved the podcast and how uh, he learned more about the the show, uh, the movie, listening to the podcast and when he was on it. <laughs> then offered his services, and he actually was like had a re- he was a recurring guest on that show. That's awesome! Wow. Yeah, they really those guys like broke the the it's like breaking the sound barrier. That's 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 amazing. I'm, and I'd like to announce my new podcast, the George Lucas Minute, which hopefully <laughs> can get some attention from anyone involved in George Lucas. But that's great, and and that's that's amazing that he found more out about the film. And I guess I wonder what that's like when you work on something, and I don't know what it is in his mind, but to have the fans. I guess it can go either way because there's parody sketches where it shows that for Star Trek people, that's not a great thing. But it must be great to learn from people who dissected this movie, loved this movie, and are doing exactly what you guys are doing, like breaking it down minute by minute. That's That's got to be surreal if you worked on it in the past. Yeah, I, I, I imagine it depends on what your view is of the piece of entertainment that you were part of, if you have warm feelings towards it or not. And I'm sure it also just depends on the tone that people have. One of the tasks that I've taken upon myself as part of the podcast world is I try to be positive, and not that I won't call out something that I don't think is great, or I'm not afraid to grumble about something that I think is grumble about, but I don't go into this looking for stuff to complain about, and I don't want to be, I never want to be part of a podcast that's all about just spewing bile about everything that we talk about. Um, so when we talk about Flash Gordon, we talk about our love for this movie. And we recognize the things that may not work or are a little over the top or a little dated. We'll recognize that, but it, it all comes from a place of we love this movie and we love the performances and the people involved with it. and We, we try to be appreciative of it. So I would like to thank, uh, hey, Sam Jones, if you're listening, we love you. Uh, and, and I, I hope I that... Listen to what I said about him yesterday, you know? Oh, is this... I'm sorry. No, I wasn't putting him down. I, I, I guess that's clearly what it sounded like no yes i and again i he's wonderful in the movie it's and it's not negative but i think sometimes dealing anything with pop culture there's so many ways to look at it and maybe i'm not authoritative on this i know with things that i love like things that i'm engrossed in after a while it's like well what's another way to look at this and it's different ways to dissect things my apologies if it came across as uh recasting or anything uh, along those lines it, it's interesting to to do that little sort of alternate casting in your head uh every gosh it feels like a couple times a year there's some article about how how close tom cruise came to becoming iron man and i can't imagine anyone else's iron man now uh, robert Downey jr is that role but what would a tom cruise iron man film be like and tom cruise especially then 10 years ago 10 15 years ago when he was up for the role, um, he didn't make bad movies. There could be a certain amount of sameness to it, and Tom Cruise has these boxes that he likes to check as an actor in the films he does, especially the action stuff. But I, it's, it's just, you, you wonder, it's like, what would, 
What would an uh, Iron Man be like with Tom Cruise? Um, Guardians of the Galaxy. We talked a lot about Guardians of the Galaxy yesterday. We've talked about it many times because there's definitely a lot of uh, DNA from Flash Gordon in Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, at one point, Jim from The Office uh, was up for the lead role as Star-Lord. Um, that would have been interesting. It would have been different. You can entertain the ideas of alternate castings and where would, what directions the movie would go in without trashing the person who had, had the role. It's just like, yeah. See, somewhere there's an alternate universe with Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Captain America. And what would that movie have been like? Well, you know what? We all, I mean, we all in the movies by minute world, we, we, you know, everyone always talks about this, how we all owe our existences to the guys at Star Wars Minute. You know, they started it. They're, they're, they're the kings of, of the genre. And the, 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 the way that they run their podcast and the way that they run their fan page on Facebook is, you know, they love Star Wars, but we don't take ourselves seriously as fans. We don't take it seriously. We're coming. So, you know, we love it. We're having fun, but we can also goof on it and we can goof on ourselves for loving it also and that's the way you know that brad and i you know try to do this podcast i just want to apologize to sam waterson because i didn't mean to <laughs> i mean he's a very busy man and so to, to, to put him in another costume no sure i i greg i gotcha i understand going back to the swamp you're right timothy dalton saves flash and then says but <laughs> but wouldn't it be amazing if it was Timothy Busfield? That was no, that's not. <laughs> and from his Poindexter days or from his thirty-something days? From his thirty-something days, <laughs> I would think. But that's a, that, or from his skateboard kid days. That's the Timothy Busfield I know. Either way, no one has ever said that Timothy Busfield. What a swashbuckling guy! <laughs> I don't think so. I I'm gonna. I'll do a quick Google search. For yeah, I think see, I, that comes up. It will not autofill that term. <laughs> Well, well, Baron, you know, he's like, all right, I'm going to enjoy this. You know, you, you, you know, this is going to be a fun death. And oh, what's that? He's surrounded by Hawkmen. And how did so many Hawkmen get onto Arborea and capture the leader of Arborea so easily? And if it's so easy, how come the many moons of Mongo aren't doing this all the time? Did they fly under the radar? The Lee Harvey Oswald prison transfer had better security than Arborea. Tim is very quick, I have to point out, with the uh, wacky puns. I must say. <laughs> well, you can call them puns. Act. I don't know how wacky they are. Um, <laughs> is that true? Is it? And again, because I'm seeing it out of order, is it odd that they're there and then well, say, I mean, Quiet's fleet is not? I mean, it's it's the Arborean's planet. The Hawkmen live on a different quote-unquote yeah, planet. I mean, they've got a whole, you know, Flock of Hawkmen here, and, and I mean, do they have a they, ship? No, they just they just fly between planets, huh? That's all we ever see them do uh, in the movie. Yeah, it's they just, and you're right. It's not just that they flew onto the Boria and they absconded with one of a guard or something. It's like they they got the leader. Yeah. And the Arboreans and Hawkmen, it's been shown throughout the movie, they're essentially in a state of war against each other. I mean, these are two hostile parties. They are, they are, they, and so how do they get on this planet unnoticed? And I just, I, it, it's, uh, it makes And no why sense. haven't they done it before if it's this that, easy? Ex yes, exactly. Why has this not been done before? Also, again, I've had a lot of problems with Baron. Uh, I don't think he's a good planner because. He saves Flash, and it's like, well, you're not going to get away from this one. It's like, he wouldn't have gotten away from the last one if you hadn't saved him. Yeah. Now, is that the swashbuckling kind of playfulness? Like, 
it's got to be his by his hands. His yeah, needs. yeah. I mean, when he chases after him a couple of minutes ago, he says, "You know, I'll you know I'll hunt him alone. He's mine." It's just he's had so many opportunities, and also, and I and it's anyone who's been listening to the show up to this point knows this has made me crazy. Where first off, it's a bad plan because he wants to kill Flash in a way that Aura won't be mad at him. She's going to be mad at him if he's dead when she comes back. There's no... It, the plan is flawed from the beginning. If Flash is anything but happy, help, happy healthy, and ready for some playtime with Aura... <laughs> is it a paperwork issue? Like, if he signs off on it? Like, if he signed off on his death, that would probably work out. Yeah, that seems to be what he thinks. He's like, well, he was in the like the sacred room, you know. He just had to stick his arm into the tree stump of, of the giant scorpion thing. It's like, no, that's not going to work. And either kill him or don't kill him. But uh, for a guy, it's funny, for a guy who goes on to play James Bond, he's acting a lot like a James Bond villain. Because really, just shoot him. Don't, yeah, right. don't monologue. Don't save him from some other beast so you get to kill him. He may have only had his permit to kill at this point. That might be why. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a learner's permit. It, and then the Hawkman shoot the gun right out of his hand. Uh, and at this point, he just realized he needs a new security team. Now, the flip side of that is the Hawkman are enjoying that it's not combative, right? Like, they actually, it's, I think everything the Hawkman do is for fun. I love these characters. They seem like, uh, they seem almost like, the Dungeons and Dragons players who are the dwarf, you know, and it's like they love the language of the time. They love talking about mead, but they're also they almost slip into their own dialects. Like, I love these characters and they're just it's kind of sport, isn't it? Like, they're not. I know there's tension between these two kingdoms or whatever, but I don't I don't feel it from them, which I think is great. They're, they're just I don't know. There's just this group of LARPers almost. I, I agree. I think they're happy that they don't have to kill that they get Baron and they get to bring him back to Vol- Voltan. And Voltan's going to get a chance to just laugh in his face and mock him and have, give that big barrel-chested laugh of his. And it would probably be dissatisfying to Voltan if his men showed up and they had Flash. He's like, oh yeah, we killed Baron while we were at it. And he would he would be upset because a wor- also part of the thing of a worthy foe that he didn't have a chance to sort of fight and also match wits against and just get a chance to, you know, have, have another chuckle at his expense. That sort of leads out to Baron realizes he's in trouble, he's surrounded. So Eric, here's your chi- time to shine. We're, we're back <laughs> with the we're back with your guy. Holy cow. As as if as if we all didn't love Clytus enough. We see Clytus's ship for the first town at, for the first time and oh my god, it's got a freaking bug face. Is that, oh, is that oh, I thought I had Woody Woodpecker's face. I love that. Oh, I ship. love it. <laughs> this does comic books right. Like oh, it yeah. looks cartoony. That is a beautiful painting, I assume. But yeah, I, and I like how it, it's like anywhere you go during the movie, the ship is watching you. It's kind of just <laughs> following where you're going. But yeah, is that this is the first time you see his ship? Yeah, yeah. Is that based on anything? That's not what he looks like. It's not like it's his face on the no, front. No, I think it just it's just Clytus, and it looks friggin' awesome. And another would have been a cool toy. Another thing where oh, as a kid, yeah, that would have sucked me into this movie too, probably. Eric, do you remember? Or I know there's been some uh, the, the pop figures uh, have been made. That 
and stuff like that. But when this movie came out, were there action figures? Was there any toy tie-ins for this film? No, no, nothing. Anything, anything you see Flash Gordon's come out in like the last ten years or so. Really? There wasn't. Yeah. A, they didn't think that they could no. do a toy line for this. Nope. Now there were toys for the cartoon. Is that right? There was a Flash Gordon cartoon in the eighties because I feel like I remember seeing Flash Gordon figures somewhere, but maybe they were the animated. Yeah, I don't. Not not show. for the not for the for this movie specifically. It's all been in like the past ten years. I think it was for the Defenders of the, what was it? Uh, but it was Defenders Earth. of the Earth. Yeah. yeah, but I think even before that, I feel like there I have vague memories of of a filmation because I remember the opening credits cartoon. But do you think toys would have driven this movie more? Or do you think it would have been a toy line that would have crashed? Because this is great looking stuff. Yeah, it's hard to say. Because, like, I know, you know, like, the Black Hole had toys. I know Mm -hmm. Battlestar Galactica had toys. So, I mean, it wasn't only Star Wars that did the toys thing. Um, I don't really know why this movie did not go with toys. Yeah, because, like, Clash of the Titans gets toys. Dallas, which is a TV show, had toys. Yeah, I don't... I wonder if it was just... toys. MASH had toys. They did. Yeah, because every kid wants to play with an action figure that talks... (laughs) that makes some uh, jokes about trying to stoop the nurses and then talks about the horrors of war. Yes. Well, Space War. I think it's the Space Korean War is what I remember. But, um, no, I wonder if it was a missed opportunity. I wonder if a license fell through, because this this is ready-made. Much like the Cantina in Star Wars, and more so than Empire Strikes Back, you have all your stuff in this movie. The like ship being the perfect example. Even just a plastic toy of that ship running around the house with that, that I, I would have loved that. I mean, I owned a, I had, I, from Empire Strikes Back, I had a twin pod cloud car. I mean, <laughs> you can't get a more boring ship than the twin pod cloud car. And I, and I ran out and bought that when it came out. Look how much cooler this thing looks. That's right. I mean, there's no twin pod cloud car pilot for it. That's true. Twin pod cloud car pilots. But you get, yeah, I I am, this seems like a missed opportunity that there weren't toys. A hugely missed opportunity. Yeah, it's, well, actually, it's funny, Eric, you're just bringing back, uh, I mean, they made action figures of everything in Star Wars. uh, And it was brilliant because I know Lucas basically made so much money off those toy lines yeah they actually had some pretty some vehicles that looked great in the movie perhaps and then you get the toy and realize like why why do i have this i know um one of my first star wars toys was um the vehicle that luke drove at the beginning of star wars on the land speeder yeah the land speeder and i was just talking about this with uh many many moons ago on the cosmic geppetto podcast i was talking with jarf about it where you know, the cool sci-fi vehicles and then not so much cool sci-fi vehicles. And I said, it's like, that. I got that toy and I realized, like, you know, this thing is, it's sort of weirdly U-shaped and it's, it's actually not that cool. It's, oh, there's so many, there's so many cool toy. vehicles and spaceships and stuff and you definitely have an affection for it. But it really, in and of itself, uh, it, it ain't no Millennial Falcon. Yeah, that I mean that's the true. thing. It's like you know, the, the, you know, when you compare it to the other vehicles, you could have gotten the X-wing, the Tie Fighter, the Millennium Falcon, the Land Speeder was kind of like Max yeah. Rebo's keyboard. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean the Land Speeder was one of the more boring. You know, they, I mean you could have gotten an ad at. Now that would have been awesome. You know, yeah, but, yeah, you know yeah. well, that's, yeah, that's an cool. equal comparison. <laughs> I mean, the Land, <laughs> Land Speeder was one of the first toys I got. Yeah. A little one with that would automatically go forward with a button so i have a fondness for it plus it looked <laughs> that more than later star wars stuff that looks 70s sci-fi to me like that toy you could repurpose that as a as a 
Flash Gordon or Buck Rogers toy, I think it's got the big engines and the U shape, like you're saying. Like, there's something very 50s looking about that land speeder that doesn't, and maybe this is why it's a jarring toy, it doesn't translate to any of the vehicles until you get to the prequels when they do start doing these retro things. So, there is a weird thing to that design that is almost not of that universe at that point. That's land speeder minute. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll leave that to the Star Wars minute, guys. We love you guys, by the way, if they're listening. Um, so talk, to, uh, Eric, talk more about, uh, Clytus Awakes. Yeah, well, when we first go into the interior of, and that's the thing, we first see the ship, we actually don't know what it is. We just see this awesome <laughs> ship, we go inside, there's two, uh, Ming's minions standing around talking, we're like, hmm, what's going on here? And then, Clytus is taking a nap, and, uh, his, his people are, are, are afraid to wake him, they say, you know, apologies for bothering you, sir, and his bed levitates up out of the wall because of course it does because he's Clytus and they start talking to him and his eyes are still closed he's he's he what the guy has said has not been worthy enough yet for Clytus to even open his eyes yet but as soon as he says the names Flash Gordon and Baron boom the eyes pop open I love I love that bet. It's like he's almost popping up like he's mint on the card or something to stand this Voyager. <laughs> but that was great. And this and I didn't I didn't realize when you're saying this is the first time we're seeing the inside of a ship. This is how he travels. Yeah. It's supposed to be funny too, right? He is a very funny villain in this oh, scene. Absolutely. absolutely. I mean you can't I mean the, you can't the scene, you know, it's either being played for laughs or terror as like someone who's just, you know, completely insane. But, you know, I, I think it's more funny than terrifying. Right. And I do, too. Is that and that's intentional, though, right? I it has to be. Yeah, because that is funny. <laughs> and they don't seem that worried about waking him up, to be honest. They seem OK <laughs> with that. But yeah. You know, so this I don't mean I'm not the only reason I'm comparing it to Star Wars is this would have been my intro into it. This came out the same year as Empire Strikes Back, correct? Correct. About Five, uh, seven months after. Okay, so they were both in production because yesterday we were, we were on on the Swamp World, which made me think of Dagobah. This scene, it's a metal character in their sleep chamber, and we kind of have that with Vader in his meditational chamber. I mean, these similarities there seems like this this would have been popular to me as a kid, but I just I never saw it. You were, I heard you say yesterday you saw this when you were five. How did you get? You probably have said this before, so if it's retreating, we can skip. I'm just wondering what got you to see this. Uh, that I don't remember. Uh, I know I saw it with my friend and my friend's dad. So, you know, I, I remember being in the theater with my friend and my friend's dad. Um, I, you know, as far as why I went to see it, I, who knows, maybe just he, you know, I was with my friend and he said, hey, I'll take you guys to a movie. I mean, that I don't remember. Because I certainly had never heard of Flash Gordon before at that age, you know. Also, going to the movies was different then. Now, if I want to go see a movie, I'll go to the local Regal Cinema, which will have... 10 movies playing and, you know, sometimes multiple showings of the same movie split out every 15, 15, five, 15 minutes. Um, but once, you know, when you were looking in the early 80s, movie houses would only have one screen and they would play the same movie sometimes for two or three weeks. So if you wanted to go to a movie, your option was that movie. And a lot of times parents would, um, and, and Eric, what was the release date on Flash Gordon? Uh, December, December something, 1980. So it could have very well been uh, during a Christmas vacation, Christmas break, or, and, and you were five, so you weren't necessarily in school at that point, but it could have been a period of time where if you have a day off in between Christmas and New Year's or something like that, and it's like, well, let's take the kid to a movie 
Flash Gordon is playing, and it's a movie that looked okay for kids, it, it could really have just been a thing of, well, we got to see something, and that looks like something that's okay for the kid. That's the movie you go now. Well, especially also if we had all, you know, we all would have had Star Wars fever that year with The Empire Strikes Back coming out. And so if you're watching commercials, it's like, oh, look, here's some other crazy space movie with wacky looking aliens. You know, we all love Star Wars. Let's go see this. You know, yeah, it sounds like that'd be a big draw. Yeah, like that, that would be a huge draw for this. Yeah. Uh, and the movie had did do well. It didn't do great. It did well enough. It made back its money. Uh, it just wasn't successful enough to necessitate a sequel, especially because this was in an era before sequels were automatics. Do you think they were ever close to making a sequel? Do you think they had plans in motion or thought about Yeah, I mean, uh, they actually did. They um, did? Yeah, they, they, there were plans for a sequel, um, and essentially, I don't know how much you know about... Um, the whole Sam Jones leaving at the end and having to be dubbed over. Do you know about this? I do not. So uh, uh, Sam Jones, um, at near the end of production, uh, got into a dispute, of the details of which are kind of hazy, but he got into a dispute with Dino De Laurentiis, and he effectively walked off the picture. And so they had to get someone else to come in and do all of the uh, dubbing. So you don't hear Sam Jones' voice at any point in the movie. Oh, for the entire film. It's yeah. not just someone doing an impression. Correct, correct. Oh. Someone, they, just, they had to get someone else to do all of the overdubs. And so Sam's break, essentially, with the production, essentially killed any chance of any sequel because, it, you know, they couldn't do it without Sam Jones. Yeah, and it's not like it was so successful that they were going to break, break the bank to bring him back for another film. Exactly. Right. And I, I know that um, Brian Blessed once said in an interview the sequel was going to be set on Mars. I don't know if that's true or not. That could just be Brian Blessed throwing out Brian Blessed information, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be on Mars! <laughs> yeah. He has some pretty awesome commentary on the audio commentary. I found it online, at least, talking about his scenes very excitedly. Like, in a way where I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll totally watch the scene with you talking through it. <laughs> Voltan is basically Brian Blessed downplaying himself. <laughs> so it's a restrained Brian Blessed. Save your Brian Blessed for tomorrow. He's in the sh right. shot tomorrow. Save him for tomorrow. Save your Brian Blessed for tomorrow. <laughs> We still got more Clytus because he's he's he, he's got to go back to nap time soon. He's got a great move here. So you know he says, "Wake me when it's when it's in sight." When they say you know uh, that they're going to go to Hawkman City, but he's got a really cool move that the guy he's, he he says he starts the bed starts moving back down before his minion even starts answering the question. So you know. He asks a question, and it's like, I'm already going to go back to sleep because I know <laughs> this guy knows he better answer me before I'm lying back down completely or he's dead. So I've asked my question. I'm done. He better answer before I'm done. He's already going back to sleep before he even gets his answer. I love it. <laughs> is that consistent with his character throughout the movie? That oh, I remember. Oh, it is, yes. Oh, yeah, basically, the only thing missing is him like huffing something because uh, <laughs> Colitis likes to sniff some stuff. Colitis. He's so awesome. Oh, he really is. It's so great to have a threatening but not brooding or threatening but not, I don't know, like he's not a Darth Vader. He's not a General Zod. He's, he's very much his own thing. I mean, I think a couple years later he could have been 
a braver Cobra commander or something, but it's his own. It's very much so much of this movie is its own thing that again, I'm just like, how, how, how did I miss this as a kid? I think this would have been awesome for me as a kid. So now, um, um, when did you first see the movie? I first saw it in the early nineties. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, came to it like I, I don't think i knew it existed and then there was the queen resurgence I, a lot of people probably go on the same route you know 90 or 91 was really into queen the song flash gordon was on one of their compilations and then we had two records of queen like lps one was news of the world and one was the soundtrack to this and i think someone like a teacher at school or something gave it to me because you know i was talking queen or whatever so i, I suddenly knew the images i knew the songs and you know, it's this, it's that campy queen sound that maybe wasn't the queen sound I knew. So I knew the song. And so, you know, we sought it out and rented it. But again, we treated it like a movie. It was kind of a group movie to almost mystery science theater while we watched it. You know, that's kind of what we did every weekend. We go in the basement, we rent the movies. You know, we saw Megaforce that way. We saw um, Zardoz that way. Call or Crawl or whatever it's called. Like we, crawl. we would crawl. Thank you. Did I say it right or did I totally miss what you said and I say think, it wrong again? No, you, you said call and i said crawl and you said yeah right crawl yeah so crow i saw crow no crawl <laughs> but um but no it was just it was this i don't think i again like i was i was saying yesterday i didn't get it as a movie i got it as 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 something that was campy and we all watched it and we all you know made our jokes because i just i loved being that snotty kid who did that to movies so i saw it but so much of it didn't stick with me i really gained an appreciation for it probably just in the last 10 years you know because again it didn't stick with me because of how i watched it you know i didn't get the the visuals of it i just got some you know a chance to make some jokes to make some clever jokes because that was in the 90s sort of the uh the weight the movie had i think but i'm glad i got back to it you know the way you go back to like a last starfighter or logan's run it's it's got some amazing glamorous missteps and it's got some beautiful art to it like it's an artful film and i did not understand that when i was like a teenager no there's so much for this movie that it helps to be a little older and a little more wise to the way of films to really appreciate does it help to be a little younger like yes. is this for kids it because it's funny the two movies you just mentioned at the end they're last starfighter and logan's run i saw last starfighter as a kid in the theater when it came out and i oh, liked it and like I look back on it now with you know fond memories, I don't know if it holds up today. But I saw Logan's Run as an adult, and I hated it. Oh really? Yeah. See, that's one of my absolute favorite films. Oh yeah. wow. Uh oh. Oh, that's fine. I didn't. <laughs> I can't keep up with it so fast. No, it's fine. I I like it for anyway. It's just in the Logan's Run minute, so that's that. That's fine. But but you as a kid, Flash Gordon for right. you exactly. But then Brad, you think did you watch it as a kid? Flash Gordon, yeah. Gosh, watching movies on TV was so different. I didn't see it in theaters. Um, and I've talked about this before. We got uh, cable. Uh, we lived out in the middle of nowhere. We were an early adopter of cable because we couldn't get the, the, the LOS stations on our antenna. And Flash Gordon would play all the time on HBO. Or, you know, one, or Showtime or whatever other hey channel we had. And the thing is, I remember the first time I watched it, we're actually coming to the minutes where I first watched it. And it was uh, some Clytus heavy stuff uh, <laughs> that we'll talk about in the next week or so. And it was actually a scary movie when they're fighting on the the, the, the tilting floor that has the spice coming out. That, that, that can actually be pretty scary for a kid who's six, seven years old. And then what happens with Clytus at that point? Also, what a thing is, oh gosh, my kids are so spoiled. Now, when my kids want to watch something, 
they actually just push a button on the remote control and say Milo Murphy's Law and then it pulls up 12 episodes of Milo Murphy's Law that they can watch and you just push the button and it starts right there so there's no planning there's no flipping through the channels and trying to find something that is near the start of the movie so you can watch it and not miss too much. And I would see Flash Gordon all the time, but I watched it crazily out of order because you, you would have to go through the TV guide to find stuff. Uh, there was no hitting the back button to get back or restart this movie or anything like that. Which is such a different experience. Do you think it's a worse experience? That's a great question. On one hand, it's great. You know, the only way to watch Flash Gordon would be to get lucky enough to see it at the st from the start or, you know, looking at advertising. And it would be a pain because if you want to watch a movie, it was hard to do. This was even before you had VHS tapes. On one hand, it's great because you can actually watch the movie start to finish. The downside is, eh, and, I'm, and I sound like old man Mendenhall at this point, <laughs> my kids will watch Grinch Stole Christmas every day for all of December, and they'll watch it over and over again, and it almost becomes background noise, because they'll, you know, they'll say, put on Grinch Stole Christmas, I'll put on it, then they'll go and play with whatever else. And I remember when I was growing up, that was an event. Every year... I would just be, my sister and I would be passing my parents, like, when's Grinch Stole Christmas? Grinch Stole Christmas. We'd watch it once, because it was only shown once, and we would watch it as a family, and we would just watch it so close, because that was the only opportunity to see that particular piece of entertainment. It, it, when everything is on demand, you appreciate it just perhaps a little bit less than if you really have to go through an effort to see something. Flash Gordon is a movie where it, it it's... A good movie to, to make an experience. Um, I would love to... They have retro movie nights up in Harrisburg, about an hour north of where I live. And it would be awesome if they showed Flash Gordon, because that'd be a great movie to go and sort of... I think they do outdoor showings, almost having like a, a drive-in movie theater feel. Because Flash Gordon is... Genetically, it feels like a drive-in movie. Yeah. Again, every, with everything, there's a trade-off. Anybody can watch Flash Gordon at any time, and that's a good thing, because Flash Gordon's a great movie to watch when, I don't know, there's nothing on TV, and you can go on to, and, you know, go to your social media, to your media provider of choice, be it iTunes or your DVD or whatever, and watch Flash Gordon. That's awesome. But it's also a movie that is so unique and has such a great campy... Um, movie serial feel that it, it almost begs to be seen as a special occasion and on a big screen or outdoor or a drive-in. Everything's a trade-off. Yeah, and I don't know where I stand to that because it's hard to just stumble across something now. It seems to me, anyways, like, you, like your experience of flipping by and being scared by something, you, it's harder to do that now because you have a list of stuff. But your example of the Grinch you're excited for that, and if that happens to fall on the date of the year where it's like, well, we've also got the school player, and you're going to miss it, now you can't see it. That would be crushing, right? To go Christmas without the Grinch, having it on demand, you can. there is a, this sense of as long as it's something you want to see, you have, you have a time to see it. I don't know. I think it changes our relationship with these things. I'm less inclined to randomly watch something on TV now, which sounds like maybe is how you found this, but... If I stumbled across it with the ability of finding it on demand, I know, oh, that was a curious thing I saw. I can go back and watch it from the beginning, whereas back then maybe you couldn't. So, yeah, it's 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 a very different experience that I don't know for better or for worse. But I, I perceive it as different because I've had both. I assume my nephew and your kids, it's what they know. So that's how they're going to experience their pop culture, I imagine. Oh, yeah, yeah. And everything is, for my kids, 
they, there's like a kid's YouTube, and that's how they sort of absorb their entertainment, because they would rather, you know, they each get 10 minutes of iPad every day, and they go into kid's YouTube, and that's how they sort of absorb their entertainment, and then you try to, like, to, for them to get into something, a movie or whatever, it's, okay, we're going to show you the Let It Go video on YouTube, and then they'll see Frozen, and they'll love Frozen, you know, so everything is sort of almost done in reverse. Yeah, the way... Th the next this generation is consuming entertainment is just very different. Eh, not better, not worse, just 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 different. I try not to, I, I try not to lean too far into the cranky old man thing. Yeah, but it's interesting too because it sounds like there's a, still a way to explore it. Like you're saying, like they see a clip that's still there. But yeah, it's, I don't I don't I don't adapt to it well. I miss video stores. I miss movie of the weeks. But for some reason, I don't replicate that. I don't know why. Going back to the minute, uh, Clytus. Falls back to sleep, and uh, gosh, what else do we have in the minute 70? I love the design of the sh Yeah, again, I just love the design because it almost looks cardboard 50 sets, but it's beautiful. I, I just, this, I love the inside of the ship, the outside of the ship. It's just fun where so much of this movie is pretty. Yeah. Sci-fi isn't pretty very often, and uh, I, I miss that. And I'm glad we get to, to, to see the inside of the ship, and we're going to see some... Real pretty stuff tomorrow. So we have a, a great minute 71. Um, Tim, real quick, please uh, again share um, where people can find, uh, hear more of you on the, the wonderful world of podcasting. Uh, yeah, check. Um, so I do a podcast called 20th Century Popcast with my co-host Bob Canning. We've got a website, uh, 20podcast.com. If you check it out there, it's got the most recent episode, past episodes. I also have links to ways uh, to subscribe to the show as well as following me on Twitter and Instagram, both of which are at subcultists. So yeah, check out 20podcast.com. Uh, Very cool. Recommend everyone check that out. Eric, where can people find out more about Flash Gordon Minute? Find out more on Facebook by chatting with us in the Flash. Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex on Twitter, Flash Gordon Pod, and on email, Flash Gordon Minute at gmail.com. Hey, we also ask for your ratings, reviews, and iTunes. It helps improve our uh, visibility. And uh, gosh, Eric, this has been another great uh, minute. We're going to have a, we're going to finish up this week strong. We get Voltan back, which there's never anything wrong with Voltan coming back. I'm very excited, but um, I'm also really scared about tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning. Hmm, as we record this, that's a Friday. Basically what happened is I just uh, I was in a bit of a rush to get home, and I just barely got into the house. The car's running on fumes. Now, my uh, vehicle does have uh, like a, a range thing letting you know how many miles are left on your gas tank. So first thing i got to do tomorrow is get to the gas station. The problem is... I'm pretty sure that range is in Mongo Miles, and I don't know how far that is. <laughs> oh, well, listen, if, you, if you're like completely out of gas uh, and you need to get uh, Otto the bus driver to use the credit card to get uh, gas into your car uh, somehow, don't worry about it. Flash will save every one of us. Attention listeners, you can follow us on Twitter at FlashGordonPod and join the conversation on Facebook in the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex. Stay tuned for our next thrilling episode of Flash Gordon Minute.